Well, it's wonderful to be with you uh, this morning here in uh, San Diego. I'm just going to call it San Diego. Um, but I must say, you guys have got, uh, it's a cool place to live. Uh, 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 our brother Jason took me in uh, to get a, a milkshake last night, and it's the best milkshake I've had in my life. Eh? <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you what, uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool. And then I managed to get another one later. Manny took me there, and so I've had two so far, but... <laughs> Uh, it's really good, and there's just surfers everywhere. So uh, I saw your picture of baptism there, and uh, the curl in the wave, you know. We call that the green room in surfing. So I don't know if you guys baptize people in the green room, but that's, uh, um, yeah, anyways, uh, it's just great to be here. Um, we actually need to thank you guys as a church, uh, because our church is no longer called Grace Bible Church. Uh, what happened in our country is there's... Uh, a mega church in one of the township areas called Grace Bible Church, and it's a big health and wealth gospel, so a lot of false teaching. And uh, they planted a church in Port Elizabeth, and uh, it's on the main road in Port Elizabeth. So everyone would drive past, see this massive sign, Grace Bible Church, and they would say, oh, you guys are Grace Bible Church. And we would say, no, 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 we're not that Grace Bible Church. So we thought it's probably wise to change our name because we'll always be in the shadow of these guys. And uh, my wife heard about the name of your church through Facebook. So uh, I don't really do Facebook, but she, she heard about, you know, Redeemer Bible Church. And she, she said, well, what about Redeemer? And I thought, that's a cool name, man. So anyways, we went through a whole process, and now the name of our church is Redeemer Fellowship. So uh, we actually need to thank you guys, because uh, we got the name from you guys. So much appreciated. And um, yeah, it was, we had some good fellowship up in Vallejo, and uh, maybe I could just share a little bit about the ministry uh, before we turn to the Word of God. Uh, we, uh, Redeemer Fellowship is a very small church. We have about 16 members in the church, but um, the Lord has done some amazing things in our context. So one of the encouraging things He's done is uh, the, he's brought in some brothers and sisters uh, to come join the church from one of the local townships. So the townships are like um, uh, during apartheid when there was uh, legalized segregation. Basically, all the African people, the black Africans, were forced to live in these areas called townships. They couldn't live anywhere else in the country. So today in democracy, those are like very low-income areas. Uh, but uh, it's kind of like the ghetto, you know, like going to the ghetto. So very poor areas. But a whole bunch of guys have come from those areas. And uh, so the church is um, a real mix now, which is very rare in our country. And uh, it's all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they just love the gospel, and that's why they came. And uh, we've all had to learn to uh, not be offended by cultural differences so there's some radical cultural differences. We come from very different cultures. And uh, the Lord is doing an amazing work, you know. So three of these guys from the township are uh, very gifted teachers. And um, one of them today preached his first expository sermon today. So they're ahead of us nine hours, so he's already done it. But uh, we just praise God for that. And two of the other guys preached their first expository sermon a couple of weeks ago so uh, it's just so awesome that even though we small the Lord is really working in the in the hearts of people and guys are getting saved and we're baptizing people not as cool as you guys baptize people but uh, 
<laughs> we just did it in a swimming pool, but, uh, but it's just awesome to be a part of that. And um, also something else just to mention briefly is uh, the Lord has opened up an opportunity for us to further uh, biblical counseling within our province where we are. So uh, there's a man called Wayne Mack uh, who lives in Pretoria. Some of you may know of him. He's written a lot of books on biblical counseling. So we work closely with him now. And uh, the training that he does, he wants to use um, Port Elizabeth and our church, Redeemer Fellowship, as a place to equip people in biblical counseling training. So we're looking at doing that. And you guys can really pray for that because there's a tremendous need for biblical training in our part of the country. There's no Bible seminary or Bible college in Port Elizabeth. There used to be one, but now there isn't one. So if guys want to get trained for the ministry, they have to go to other parts of the country. So we're really praying that the Lord will use this. And uh, you can just pray for that. So we're currently in the process now of getting a... Um, accreditation from the government where we can offer a master's degree in biblical counseling. Uh, so that's what we want to do, you know, and help the people in our city. Okay, so yeah, that's it. And if you guys want to chat afterwards, feel free. There's like tons more I could share, but um, everyone's doing well, the family's well, and and uh, it's, it's, yeah, so that's that. Okay, so uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke this morning, and uh, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 18, <clears throat> we're going to look at the issue of justification, justification. So uh, justification is a doctrine in the Bible. And as you know, doctrine is very important. Um, basically, we act out what we believe. So whatever it is you believe in your heart, you end up doing that. So what do you believe uh, about certain things? And there's some doctrines that are are more weightier than others because some doctrines have eternal significance. And this is one of those. This is a very, very, very important teaching. What you believe about justification is uh, very, very significant. So <clears throat> it really means the difference between heaven and hell. And uh, you'll see that in this text this morning. Let's just read it. It's a story that Jesus told. Okay, and we all have stories but listen to this story. In verse 9, in Luke 18, it says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, 
This man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this is really a, an amazing text. And here we learn how to be justified before God. And that's really the most important question you could ever answer in your life. How to be justified before God. But before we answer that question, let's just notice a number of things that we are told here about justification. Okay, about this important teaching of of. of what it, of how one becomes right with God. Okay, so there's a number of observations. First of all, you see that justification is an issue between God and man. That's the issue. It's between God and man. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> if you look at verse 9, it says, He told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So they had a wrong view of justification. But then in the parable, um, what do you see? The one man who is the Pharisee, okay, he looks at himself and he compares himself to who? To others. Compares himself to other people. He says, well, some people are swindlers. Some people are adulterers. Some people are tax collectors and I'm not like that. Look at what I do. I uh, pay tithes on all that I get. I fast twice a week. You see what he's doing? He's looking out horizontally. And that's not what justification is about. Who is the man who gets justified? The tax collector. And what's interesting there is he doesn't look horizontally. Who does he pray to? He prays to God. And that's what we learn, that the issue of justification is between man and God. That's the issue. Don't think about anybody else. You just got to think about what is my relationship with the Lord. Secondly, justification is about righteousness. It's about righteousness. Okay, so verse 9, you know, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people and they have a certain concept of righteousness. They were thinking that they were righteous. And this whole doctrine of justification explains to us, you know, what true righteousness is, okay? And obviously, <clears throat> it's very clear that this Pharisee was wrong. He was not a righteous man, because that's the punchline of the parable, isn't it? He went home and he was not righteous in the eyes of God. Who was righteous? It was the tax collector, okay? Now, his righteousness didn't come from himself. It was given to him by God. And that's what we have to understand is that it's an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness that's given to us by God. Number three, what we see in this parable is that justification is instantaneous. It happens in a moment. It's not a, a process. Uh, it's not something that takes a long time. Because what is Jesus, how does Jesus conclude that the man went to his house justified? It was an act of God that happened in a specific moment in time. Okay, so he got saved and was justified. Uh, number four, 
is that justification is an act of God. No one else justified him. God justified him. Okay? Because it says there in verse 14, I tell you this, the man went to his house justified. Somebody justified him. And who did the justifying? Well, obviously it's God, because God is the one he was praying to. So we understand that, that it is a work of Almighty God. Uh, that's why it's a, it's, it, we recognize it's a divine act of God. And number five, this is the last point. Number five, the very important, is uh, <clears throat> justification is an act of grace, isn't it? What is grace? It is divine unmerited favor. That's what God's grace is. It's unmerited favor. He shows favor to the sinner that the sinner didn't merit. He can't do anything to earn God's justification. God, this is an act of His mercy. It's an act of His love. It's an act of His grace justifying sinners. Um, now, think of the contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee did not believe... He needed the grace of God, did he? Why? Because he falsely believed that he was righteous, that he possessed righteousness himself because of the good works that he did and because of the bad things he didn't do. So he thought he possessed that himself, right? I mean, just go through the list there. Look at what he says in verse 11. I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers. What's a swindler? Swindler is someone who cheats you. Um, it's someone who defrauds you, okay? Uh, you go and you buy something, you walk away, and you feel ripped off. What is that? Ah, I think I just got swindled, you know what I mean? I got the raw end of the deal. He's saying, I'm not like that. I don't do that. Uh, adulterers. He's, he's not an adulterer, he says. Um, and then, interestingly, he compares himself to the tax collector. He, he sees the tax collector because they're in, the, in this place praying, and he says, I'm not like one of those guys. Okay. Now, what was a tax collector? Well, the tax collectors back then were different today. No one likes tax collectors, but they were really bad back then because they worked for the Roman Empire. So they were Jews who lived in Israel, but they, they worked for the enemy. And I mean, they were um, a conquered nation under Rome. And the tax collectors had a certain liberty to be corrupt. They could overcharge you. You'd go to the tax collector, say, how much tax must I pay? And they'll tell you. And uh, they were protected by the Roman soldiers, so they could overcharge you. And that's actually how they got so rich. And they got so rich, and it was such a despised occupation that family members of tax collectors disowned them. If you were a tax collector, you would never be invited over for Thanksgiving. It would never happen because you were disowned. Okay, it was a... It was a terrible thing. They hated tax collectors. So he looks at this tax collector and he's like, yeah, there, that's the scum of the earth right there. Thank you, God, that I'm not like one of those kinds of people. Okay. But then you notice what he con condones himself for in verse 12. He says, I fast twice a week. Twice a week? Well, you go and you study the law, you'll find that there was only one fast that was required of the Jews, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Only once a year they, they needed to fast. And here he's saying, guess what, Lord? I do it twice a week. I mean, how? That's like super spiritual. You know what I mean? 
So he was, this was a super spiritual guy. And then he paid tithes for, for all that he got, he says. And the law does prescribe certain tithes. You go study the law. But uh, it, didn't, it certainly doesn't require you to give 10% of all that you get. And so he's saying, you know what? I go far beyond even what you've prescribed, Lord. That's how godly I am. So you notice he doesn't list a single sin, does he? There's not one thing he's guilty of. In his mind, he, he, does, no, he does no wrong, right? And that's how he would view himself. You say, tell me about yourself. What kind of person are you? He would say, I'm a good person. Have you ever heard that before? I mean, maybe you've said that yourself. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good person. Well, why would you say that? It's because you're comparing yourself to the tax collectors. Or you're comparing yourself to the swindlers or the adulterers. Maybe you haven't done that stuff. But that isn't the right way to compare yourself. Okay? And, and notice this. This is a very important. Verse 9. Um, he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So he's just described that kind of person. And viewed others with contempt. And that's what happens. When you think you're a good person... You look at others and you realize, oh, they're not so good, right? Okay, look at all these long-haired surfer dudes cruising around, lazy bums, or I don't know what you could think of them. But, but these are the kinds of things that go through our minds. We're always comparing ourselves to the prisoners or the criminals or the Adolf Hitlers of the world. But that's actually, um, and that leads to content. We look down upon other people. But uh, look at the contrast in verse 13 of the tax collector. It's so amazing how different he views, first of all, himself and therefore how he relates to God. So it says the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And uh, this is an amazing verse. And what we want to do is just take a closer look at verse 13. Because in verse 13, we learn how a sinner is justified before God. It actually teaches us very clearly how to be justified before God. And uh, there are two points that Christ makes for us here in this verse. So let's ask the question, how to be justified before God. The first thing you must do is recognize your sin. You must recognize your sin. Okay, so in that verse, what does he call himself? The man who doesn't swindle, the man who never commits adultery, the man who ties way and beyond, the generous man. Does he call himself any of those things? He calls himself the sinner, right? He's using a, a label that God has given to us in the Bible. And you say, well, what is a sinner? Well, give me a definition of a, of a sinner. What does a sinner mean? Well, Let's let the Word of God speak. If you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, this is probably one of the clearest definitions 
of what a sinner is. It says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And here's our definition. Sin is lawlessness. You say, whose law? The United States of America's law? No, it's God's law. So any violation of God's law is sin. If you do something that he tells you that you shouldn't do, it's sin. If you don't do something that he tells you that you should do, it's sin. Any way of violating the law is sin. And so what he's saying is, listen, God, I, I recognize that I am not righteous in myself. Because the definition of righteous is someone who does the right thing. And the right thing is what God has prescribed for us to do. So he's saying, he's recognizing that he doesn't possess righteousness. In fact, it's the opposite. He is the one who breaks God's standard of righteousness. He's admitting he's unholy. He's a bad person. He does wrong. He does the wrong things, okay? Now, by the way, this is very, very significant. If you look at that, end of that verse he does not say be be merciful to me a sinner i look around san diego and i see a lot of sinners and you know what god i'm i'm a sinner as well i'm just human i'm just like everyone else he doesn't say that this is very significant you know the language is specific here the word the is highlighting the fact that when he comes before god he's not thinking about anybody He's not thinking about his spouse, his kids, or anybody. This is a thing between him and God. And, and he is the sinner. He's the sinner. He's not thinking about those who are worse sinners than him. He's thinking about just between him and God. And the reality is he's the sinner. It's a very sobering moment this is for him. <clears throat> And how does it manifest itself? Well, you notice that he's standing some distance away, right? So he's at a distance from the Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees back then were the pious people. They were considered to be very holy. And he, this kind of demonstrates his lowly view of himself. He's, he's not even going to be near this holy man. He's going to go somewhere away because he's so aware of his sinfulness. And then notice what he does here. It says that he was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. And so here you see that he has this very humble posture. He knows that God is the holy God. God is the righteous God. And it's in a sense he's feeling his shame. The shame of his sin. He feels really bad about the sins that he's committed. And he's overwhelmed by the emotions of it. He knows that there's darkness inside of him. He has a dark heart. And so he can't just look at God and where God resides in heaven. He's like, he's even, he's too ashamed to look at God. Because he's overwhelmed by his sinfulness. And he demonstrates that in his posture. And... He expresses it powerfully by 
beating his breast, it says. He was beating his breast like this. You know, he is consumed by the reality of where he stands before God. He stands condemned, friend, destined for an eternal torment in hell, justly administered to him by the Holy One, by the Holy One whose law he has rebelled against his whole life. And so he's just so ashamed by this, beating his breast. It's like he's in mourning. It's in deep mourning. And uh, he's demonstrating that. We have to recognize our sin, don't we? It's absolutely crucial. How can you be justified? You must recognize your sin. <coughs> so let me read a, a couple of scriptures. Uh, Romans 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Someone who recognizes their sin fits into this verse 100%. They recognize that they have sinned and they have fallen short of the glory of God. God is a glorious God. We've fallen short of that glory. If you just look back at Luke 16, um, verse 14 and 15 is a very insightful scripture because here Jesus condemns the Pharisees. And what he condemns about them is that they did not recognize sin. And look at what he says. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, so they were covetous, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him, scoffing at Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. He's saying you guys can justify yourselves all day. Justify your covetousness. Justify your materialism. Justify your stealing because they actually did that. They swindled people out of their money in the name of religion so that they could get rich. But what does he say? It's just sin in the eyes of God. So do you recognize your sin? Do you compare yourselves to other people as opposed to comparing yourselves to the Lord? Don't worry about the other people. Just focus on God and realize that before Him you fall short. You fall short of the glory of God. So that's the first step. You must recognize your sin but that is followed by a second thing you must do. How to be justified before God? Call out to God for mercy. You call out to God for mercy. You cannot receive the mercy of God unless you ask for it. Unless you plead God for it. In other words, you've got to turn to Christ. Okay, have a look at verse 14. He says there, <clears throat> sorry, not verse 14, verse 13. 
Um, how does he start off? He was beating his breast, and what does he say? He says, God. Okay? So the one he addresses is the only one who can justify him. The only one who can give him what he needs, which is a right standing before God. And that's crucial, friends. Your mom cannot justify you. Your pastor cannot justify you. Your church cannot justify you. There's only one who can justify you, and that is Almighty God, right? And that's exactly who he turns to. Only Christ can save us. Let me just read uh, one wonderful verse in Galatians 2, verse 16. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. We are saved through Christ alone, no one else. And then he goes on to say it two more times. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. I mean, how clear is that? Three times he states, no one is justified through good works, through obeying the law. The only way to be justified is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what this Pharisee is doing. He is crying out to God. And look at what he pleads for. Look at what he says. He says, be merciful to me. Now this is a command. But he's not commanding God what to do. We like to call it a request because he's appealing to the divine. And so he's, he's requesting of God. It's a, he's desperate. He's pleading with the Lord to show him mercy. Because that's what he knows. The only way he's going to be, have a right standing before God is if God decides to show grace and favor to him. It's nothing he can do. It's only something that God can do. And by the way, this word, um, be merciful, it's a, it's a very strong word. It means to be propitiated. And that's not a word we use every day in our common speech. But what that indicates is that it's, it's a word regarding payment. So a payment needs to be made to God to pay the penalty for his sin. That's what he's saying. He's saying he's pleading for God to make the payment necessary. And we understand that that payment was made by Jesus Christ. He's appealing for God to make atonement for his sin. He cannot atone for it himself. He knows only God can do this. It requ requires a divine act. No human can do it. And so that is what he's appealing to. To the very application of Christ's atonement being credited to his account. Isn't it just amazing to think of that? Um, and you know, when God does justify a sinner, <coughs> he is righteous in the act of justifying a sinner. It's not unjust for God to take a sinner who's guilty of sin and declare him to be holy. Why? Because of what Christ has done in his act of redemption. 
Just listen to this verse in Romans 3, verse 26. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, <coughs> it's talking about God the Father, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God is just in justifying sinners. And why? What is that based on? It's based on the redemption of Christ. Look at verse 24. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. You see? So Jesus accomplished redemption on the cross, but that redemption is applied to the sinner when the sinner believes in Christ. When the sinner turns to Christ in faith and calls out to Christ and begs Christ for mercy. God, be merciful to me. God, be merciful to me. That's putting all your dependence and all your trust on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what that is. And this is the amazing thing. This is what the tax collector is doing right here. He's doing that, that very, very thing. Friend, let me ask you, have you called out to Jesus? Have you done that? I mean, <laughs> have you experienced the forgiveness of your sins? Have you experienced that? To know that before God you stand justified because He's been merciful to you. And the beautiful thing is the Bible promises us that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be saved. But you have to recognize your sin and then you have to call out for mercy, don't you? That's what you have to do. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. I've heard men tell the story of their conversion and of their spiritual life in such a way that my heart has loathed them and their story. For they have told of their sins as if they did boast in the greatness of their crime. And they have mentioned the love of God, not with a tear of gratitude, not with the simple thanksgiving of the really humble heart, but as if they as much exalted themselves as they exalted God. Oh, when we tell the story of our conversion, I would have it done with great sorrow, remembering what we used to be, and with great joy and gratitude, remembering how little we deserve these things. I was once preaching upon conversion and salvation, and I felt within myself, as preachers often do, that it was but dry work to tell the story, and a dull, dull tale it was to me. But on a sudden, the thought crossed my mind. Why, you are a poor, lost, ruined sinner yourself. Tell it. Tell it as you received it. Begin to tell of the grace of God as you trust, you feel it in yourself. Why, then my eyes began to be fountains of tears. Those hearers who had nodded their heads began to brighten up and they listened because they were hearing something which the speaker himself felt and which they recognized as being true to him if it was not true to them. Can you not remember, dearly beloved, that day of days, that best and brightest of hours 
When first you saw the Lord, lost your burden, received the role of promise, rejoiced in full salvation, and went on your way in peace. My soul can never forget that day. Dying, all but dead, diseased, pained, chained, scourged, bound in fetters of iron, in darkness, and the shadow of death, Jesus appeared unto me. My eyes looked to him. The disease was healed. The pains removed. Chains were snapped. Prison doors were opened. Darkness gave place to light. What delight filled my soul. What mirth, what ecstasy. What sound of music and dancing. What soarings towards heaven. What heights and depths of ineffable light. Scarcely ever since then. Have I known joys which surpassed the rapture of that first hour? Of that first hour. This man in this parable had that very moment. Because Jesus tells us in verse 14 that he went home. But he went home a justified sinner. A justified sinner. That means he was saved by the grace of God. That means he had experienced the redemption of Christ in his own life and in his own soul. But the other man did not. The other man went home, puffed up in his pride, self-righteous, looking down upon his fellow man, still with contempt in his heart. How sad that is. And Jesus' conclusion, for everyone <coughs> who exalts himself will be humbled. What is he saying? To exalt yourself in self-righteousness and pride like this man, like the Pharisee, will be humbled. What does it mean to be humbled? It's a reference to condemnation. The day is coming when you will face your right judgment. Eternal torment in hell. But, Jesus says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't that amazing? To humble yourself, by definition, according to verse 13, is to recognize your sin and to cry out to God for mercy. And what does he say? That person will be exalted. That person will be justified before a holy God. John Stott said, Nobody has understood Christianity who does not understand the word justified. Do you understand justification, friend? If you have never believed in Christ, then let today be the day that you believe. Believe in Him today. Cry out to Him for mercy and He will forgive you of your sin. Let's pray. Father, it's so amazing to just be reminded of your grace once again. And we know it's true, Lord, but just um, the way Jesus described it to us, uh, it's so comforting to us and we praise you for it. And we know it's all of your grace and we love you, Lord. Uh, what a blessing to experience that salvation by your grace. And we praise you for that. You're such a good God and you weren't 
You didn't have to save us, Lord. You didn't have to send the Son to come and die on the cross in our stead. You didn't have to do that, but you chose to because of the love in your heart for sinners. And so we thank you for that. You are a wonderful God. Amen.